You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode is part two of my conversation with Dr. Dante Newman, who is a communications faculty member at Santa Barbara City College and co-founder of diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm, Ally to Accomplice. In last week's episode, we discussed some of Dante's views on race and advocacy. This week, we focus on his personal story. He holds a PhD in communication from American University and a master's degree from the University of Albany. Now, Dante was incredibly candid about his rationale for choosing the schools that he did and the lengths he had to go through at every stage of his career to find employment, including completing his PhD and applying to over 70 jobs before the right opportunity came along. So without further ado, please enjoy. This conversation has been a little bit different than the format of our show normally, but just where we are in the world right now, I'm I'm glad... (laughs) having the conversation. Um, but we're an hour in and we haven't talked spoken a lot about your own story oh, at yeah. all. So let's 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 do a little bit of that. Obviously given the time, we may not dig as deeply as we normally do, but that's okay. We can always have you come back for a part two. Um but come but on. you're in communication. That's what your your area of concentration through your studies right. has been. It's what right. you teach. How does one say that's what how did you get to the point where you're like that's what I want to do what drove you into this field that's a really great conversation and I want to apologize profusely to the listeners uh the election we just we just found out who won yesterday y'all so y'all exactly cut, y'all cut Delisha some slack all right y'all cut us some slack in the comments but we just found out who won yesterday so I appreciate y'all for 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 uh for listening to us talk about politics but yo Delisha can we keep it real mm-hmm. yo I, so when I got to uh uh, college, right? I went to TSU, Texas Southern University in Houston, Texas, historically black college, right? I got there and I was an unenthusiastic student, right? I didn't even want to be in college. You know, I, I was working at Outback Steakhouse. You know, I was making my tips. You know, I had a little money. I was staying with my mother. So, you know, money was coming in. I have no bills to pay. Uh, but when I got to uh, TSU, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing because, you know, I have a twin sister, Delisha. That changes everything. When you've got mm-hmm. a twin sister who's doing well, right, you've got you to look like you're doing well as well. So anyway, I get to TSU and I'm like, what am I going to major in? Well, I, I'll be a teacher. That's what I said. So I'll major in education. Yo, Delisha, about a year in, I cannot make this up. They told me, well... If you want to be a, an, an educator, a teacher, you have to take this, this state administered exam. Wait a minute, a state administered exam in my at the end of my second year, and if I don't pass it, I have to switch my major, or I can I'm not allowed to take any other classes until I pass that state administered exam. Slow down. Let me explain why that was concerning for me. I never graduated high school. I got my like a like I think it's like a GED equivalent from the school called Oak Brook Baptist High School. The reason why I had to drop out of high school and go to this Oak Brook Baptist High School is like a homeschool. The reason I had to do that, Delisha, is because I had troubles. I struggled passing state administered exams. I couldn't pass those exams. And they talking about state administered exams in college. Yo, I majored in communication. I looked at every single soft science that didn't have to take a state administered exam or exams. And that's what I went with. And I saw communication. I said, it's a bet. 
It's a go. It's a wrap. I'm a communications major now. And it was speech communications. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with speech communications. I still don't really know what you can do with speech communications. I mean, I have an idea, right? I mean, obviously, be, oh, you can be, a, you can be a news anchor. You can be a political commentator. But again, I always come back to this. Do you really need to major in speech communications to do that? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so, but, but yeah, so that's how I ended up as a communications major because I didn't want to take a state administered exam. Wow. But you continued down that path, master's yep. degree, uh, a doctorate as well. Right. Um, so when did it start to crystallize for you? Like, okay, this is the career path I'm going to take now with this, with this concentration. Right. So I, I, so ended up, I graduated in 2013 and I, you know, right before graduating, Delisha, I applied to like 30 something jobs, 30 odd jobs in Houston, Texas. Right. You know how many jobs call me back, Delisha? How many? Zero. Wow. Zero. This is 2013. I'm 18, uh, 22 years old, applied to 30 jobs because I'm thinking, okay, I've graduated now. Right. Or I'm about to graduate now, you know, find a job. Never wanted to go to graduate school, Delisha. I applied to jobs and no one got back to your boy. And so I had, luckily I had applied to five graduate schools and one graduate school got back to me because they didn't accept GRE. They didn't, uh, there was no um, GRE requirements. Thank goodness, because the schools that had GRE requirements, I didn't get accepted into those. And you see my frustration when I was talking mm-hmm. about going, right? My scores were low, right? And so uh, I, I got accepted at, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a graduate program at a university at Albany in Albany, New York. And uh, I didn't want to go to graduate school. I wanted to work. So here's what I did. Delisha, this is a true story. So I, uh, I had a little money because I was working at Outback Steakhouse. I had a little money. So I said, you know what I'm going to do, Delisha? I'm going to ship all of my belongings to university, I mean, to Albany, New York. When I, if I don't get a scholarship to pay for this school, because I was taking out a lot of money to go, you know, master's programs are expensive. And I think it's right. like 20% of mass people, 20% of graduate students, um, Get, are fully funded. And so I was like, hold up, I'm going to end up in debt for the rest of my life. So I told, I was promising God, I said, God, I was telling that, look, if I do not get a scholarship in one week at this school, I'm shipping everything back to Houston, Texas, because I'm not paying for school. It's too expensive. Yo, Delisha, I cannot make this up. I got off the plane. I know this sounds wild, but this is a true story. I got off the plane in Albany, New York, first time there in my life. I checked my email. There was a black woman. Now, for, okay, I'm not going to say her name. I don't think I can share. It doesn't matter. But there was a black woman from, from University of Auburn who was like, hey, I want to give you a scholarship as a graduate assistant. Wow. Said, oh, oh, this is real, real. I got a scholarship, so that's why I stayed. That's why I stayed at University of Auburn. But here's the thing. I never wanted to be a graduate student. Mm. So can I keep going? Yes. So anyway, so now I'm in Albany, New York. I'm coming from Houston, Texas. And I mean, so it's, it's, it's not cultural shock, obviously, but it's, it's a shock because the weather is totally different in New York than it is in Houston, Texas. And so I'll wrap this up quickly. I'm not used to talking this long. Oh, this feels Go weird. for it. We're a long form podcast. All right. I'm with that. I love long form. I ain't gonna lie. So, uh, so now I'm at University of Albany. I don't want to be there. I just wanted to work, right? I want to stay in Houston, Texas. All my friends are in Houston, Texas. And so I'm really depressed, Delisha. Most depressing time in my life. Like I was so depressed. My skin was just a mess for two years while I was studying um, at University at Albany. And every single semester, Delisha, I was like, I'm dropping out. 
I'm dropping out. I'm not, I'm not pursuing this any further because I never wanted to do it anyway. So anyway, long story short, I ended up graduating from, uh, from university at Albany. And yeah, I guess I'll stop there if you want to, because I, there's just so much. So you come, so what's interesting to me is you got, got this master's degree, but you didn't stop there. So for someone who like didn't even want to go to grad school to then get a PhD from American is interesting to me. So how did that happen? Well, after I graduated from uh, University of Albany in 2015, I applied to jobs, Delisha. I applied to jobs. I would say I applied to at least 20, 20 something jobs. I can't really remember, but I would say about 20 jobs because how many jobs coming back? Zero again. Zero. Zero. I applied to jobs at, at, at uh, jobs in Albany, right? Mm-hmm. In Albany, zero jobs called me back. But luckily, I hit up a friend and uh, a good friend of mine. She was um, overseas. So she was like, oh, you should consider going overseas and, and working overseas. You know, they, they, they're looking for international teachers. And so I applied to this, um, this company called Education First. Uh, and they have a subsidiary called English First. And I applied, let's say, 8 a.m. in the morning. And they got back to me like 8 p.m. that night. It was like, mm. hey, yeah, uh, we want you to come to China to teach English for a year. And I'm like, word? I'm, this is my first time ever getting a call back, Delisha. Like, for real, for real. So I'm like, bet, say no more. It's like, it's like I don't know, like June or something, right? So it was like, yeah. I was like, yo, you, they're like, well, you'll start. You know, we got to get the paperwork, all that, blah, 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 blah. You'll be there by October. I'm word? For real? Like, you took, like, oh, okay, say no more. So I ended up, um, I'm moving to China for a year. I was in Guangzhou, China. Best time of my life. I'm having a good time. So much so, you know, our our mutual friend, Mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, Quay, yo, China is lit. Yo, China is lit, lit, fam. Like, yo, you got to come out here because I think, you know, Quay is one of my closest friends. He was trying to figure out what he was going to do after graduating from Columbia. And, you know, so I was like, yo, bro, come out, bro, fam. Come out here. Save your money up. Bro, it's lit. Man, it was the best time of our lives, man. We just had so much fun in, in China. And then, uh, yeah, I'll just stop there. Man. I'll stop there, yeah. So oh, anybody I know who's done a year or longer in Asia always has these stories like it, they, it was the best experience of their lives. So what makes it so lit, though? It was, man, I'm, I'm glad you're using the term, it's lit. But, you know, but it was so lit because, I mean, to be honest, like it was lit because... It was like my first time, it was like the first time in my life where I was actually, I, I didn't have to submit any, any, any assignments. Mm. Now I'm serious. Like I didn't have to submit any assignments. I was working, I was making money. Um, and I was also like, so I, one thing I did share is that in my, in my graduate program, it was predominantly populated with Asian students. So my crew was like, just like 90% Asian. Like mm. that was just, my crew, like there were, there were only like two black people in my program and they were also in my crew, but my, my, it was like 90% Asian. And so I had sort of like developed relationships with like Chinese people and Koreans and, um, Japanese people in my program. And so they were like, yeah, you should go, you should go. But anyway, it was lit because where I lived in China, we were, uh, in Southeastern China, it was lit because we, I was able to travel to, uh, like Thailand. Like I was able to travel to like, Myanmar and Cambodia, Vietnam, Malaysia, Singapore. And I did this all with one of my closest friends, Quay. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so like, we just all over the world, like, bro, can you, fam, 
three years ago, we were literally at, in Houston, Texas, trying to get a, a bachelor's degree from HBCU. And now we're like in Singapore, right? Like we had never, we had never dreamed of like ever going to Singapore or Malaysia or, or Thailand or like Langkawi. I mean, we end up one day like, bro, let's look on a map of Langkawi Island. Let's just, let's just go there. We end up, we end up going to like Langkawi Island, like still, like it was just, it was like mind boggling that we were able to travel to these different places, like meet people, you know, you know, my wife isn't there, so I'm not going to talk about, you know, you know, meeting some people, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know what I'm saying, Delisha? You know what I'm saying? Being funny. I know, I know. Don't get in trouble though. Yeah, Delisha trying to get me in trouble, y'all. Nah, nah. But yeah, it, it was just lit. It was lit. I'll, I'll stop there. You gonna give me? You gonna give me? Yes. So let's let's move on before you're on the couch. Um. So what made you come back though? Yeah, I, that's a really great question. So like, at that point, I knew that I couldn't stay there forever. As much as I was enjoying myself, I I knew that I could not stay there forever. I just couldn't, you know, I don't know why I couldn't, but I just, even as much fun as I had, I was just like, yo, I'm going to have to go back to the States eventually. And so I was, I started applying for PhD programs, like while I was there and, you know, because I, I didn't apply for any jobs because I'm like, yo, I have a terrible track record with getting jobs. If I'm going to go back to the States, it's probably going to be because I got accepted into a PhD program. So Actually, one thing I didn't share was before going to China, I actually um, sent out a number of emails like requesting for uh, Skype chats. This is at the time Skype was popping. Mm-hmm. Right? Skype, Skype was popping in 2015. And so I was like, before I went to China, I, was, I, I Skyped with so many different professors. Like I sent an email to every single professor in every single department I was applying to. So I, you know, professors just like, oh yeah, you know, it's great. You know, you're gonna go off to China. This will be really great. So by the time you come, if you stay there for a year, by the time you come back, you can start your PhD program. So I was like, okay, 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 blah blah blah. So anyway, I get it. I applied to eight schools. Guess how many schools I got accepted into? Delisha. How many? Five. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's very good. That's very good. Especially I mean, for an advanced degree. And for an now five. Five. I, look, Demarcus, if you can hear me, insert some stuff right there, whatever, some some noises or something like that. I don't know, champagne or something. What, air Back horns or something? Air like, horns, you know, drop Master something. Flex, Master Flex bomb, something. Yeah, come on, <laughs> drop them bombs, D. Yo, drop them bombs, D. But uh, so so anyway, I uh, I I I ended up getting accepted into five schools, and I felt so bad, Delisha, because you know before I left. Before I, before I left for China, like I was really like, yeah, I'm committed. I'm committed to LSU. You know, I'm on these, I'm on these Skype. I'm committed because I know that my, my GRE scores are trash. So I'm trying to use my personality to really get me in. You know, like I think there's a book it's called like The Power of Likeability. You know, sometimes you'll get a job because you like them. Sometimes you get accepted mm-hmm. into a program because you like them. And so I'm trying to use, I, I think I had come across that book. I'm trying to look, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to LSU. I am committed to these schools that I'm applying to. And so when it came back, you know, I got the, it was like February. And then, I'm, you know, one week I get a letter like, hey, we want to invite you out for an interview. You mass, you made it past the first round. I'm like, oh, that's good. Next week, you made it past the first round. Oh, I didn't expect that. Because I told, I promised you that I would come to that school when I talked to you. So now it was a mess. And so, you know, uh, anyway, I, I think I got accepted into like LSU, Louisiana State University, American University, of course, uh, Howard University, uh, now, you know, I applied to the University of Oklahoma, didn't get accepted. Um, Florida State didn't get accepted. What were some of the other schools? Oh, Missouri, University of Missouri, Columbia. Um, they offered me the most money. I had to make that, let that be known. And there was some other schools. I can't forget the other school. 
Oh, uh, the school in Detroit. What's the school in Detroit? Um, uh, it's, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, Delisha. Uh, Wayne State University. Mm-hmm. State. So anyway, I ended up going with American University. So it's, I find it interesting because we've talked about money at various points in the conversation, but you didn't go to the school that offered you the most money. No, I did. So, so what made you make a different decision? Well, so that's a really great question. So what happened? So Louisiana, so Louisiana State, I remember like vividly the guy was so disappointed that I didn't go to Louisiana State because he pulled strings. I know that he did because I didn't meet any other qualifications, right? I didn't meet, like, literally, I didn't meet any other qualifications. I mean, in terms of, like, having a paper published, in terms of having something published, right, in terms of, like, perhaps, like, the GPA requirements, um, the GRE requirements, I didn't meet any of that. So he was, like, you know, based, based on the strength of us emailing back and forth and doing, like, uh, Skype chats, so he pulled some strings. I remember him being very disappointed, so I didn't go there. But I remember University of Missouri was offering me, like, $30,000 stipend, like, in Columbia. So for I know many people may say 30,000, that's not a lot. Wait a minute. You were 20, I was 22, how old was I? 24 at that time? 24 years old. Columbia, Missouri has a, the cost of living is very low. And when you- It's not Manhattan. It's not exactly. And then by the way, when you are a graduate student and you're, and you live in Columbia and you making $30,000, that's almost like the salary of a teacher out there. So I'm like, oh, they were literally just trying to get me to come because that was around the time they was dealing with the racial unrest on their campus. You know? mm-hmm. But I was like, nah, it's Columbia and it's a four-year program. I looked at American University, Delisha, it's in DC. You know, you know, they used to call it Chocolate City and it was a three-year program. I said, yo, I got to get in and out. I'm not doing that extra year. It wasn't the best program, but it was three years though. Mm-hmm. That's why I went to DC. That's why I went to American. I'll be honest with you, because it was three years. Well, I'm glad you're being honest about the choices that you made throughout your academic career. Because, you know, sometimes we have revisionist history. Like we make decisions for one reason, but the story we tell because it's a better narrative changes, you know, over time. Of course. Now, that was literally why I went. I mean, I I didn't go because I was like, I got to study with this professor because this professor is dope. Nah, it was it was a three year program and it was in D.C. You know, I didn't want to go to Louisiana because like, you know, um, I, I, I guess for me, I didn't want to go because I was thinking about like the hurricanes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of the reason why I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go because I did feel like it was too close to family and I wanted to like really focus because uh, I'm from Texas. So that would have been a six hour drive. My friends would have never let me be great. Right. right? Yo, D-New, we, we coming up there this weekend. Ah, oh, fam, let me, let me, let me, let me get this dissertation popping though. Uh-huh. You know, and so I, I made all, I was, all of that stuff was factored in. Columbia, I just was like, man, look at the black population in Columbia though. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, maybe this ain't for me right now. Um, so yeah, that's why I went to American, and it and it worked out. Like, I mean, three years, it wasn't the best program, but but again, you can't beat. And, and and the thing about it being three years is like the first year or the first two years, you're taking like you're taking classes, and so that last year is just really you could do that from anywhere in the world, right? You know what I mean? You just working on your dissertation, and so it was great for me. It worked out. So tell me about that moment when you successfully defended your dissertation. Well, I'll tell you, before I successfully defended my dissertation, I definitely failed my dissertation proposal defense. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, I felt that. I felt that thing, Delisha. I felt it, and I was so sort of heart, disheart, uh, discouraged because, uh, you know, some of the people in my, in my cohort had passed, right? And I'm like, damn, you know, why me? You know, I ain't pass it, you know, and... So I was hurt. Like I couldn't work for like 
three weeks or something like that. And they were just like, yo, when are you going to revise it and submit, like revise and submit? I'm, I'm broken. You know, I've been working on this for like a whole two semesters. And you now you tell me it ain't this ain't popping. But so, yeah. So then when I, I finally was just like, yo, what they're trying to tell me to do actually makes sense. And I full steam ahead. And then I completed it. And uh, it was a great feeling. And it, it was a really great feeling because at that point, I was just so confident in myself. You know, after you kind of, uh, you know, you start really diving deep into your research, you start, you start learning, like, how to defend yourself. Like, as, a, as you know this as a Black woman, like, we have to be armed with knowledge mm-hmm. to defend ourselves because we know now we're going out into the world that really doesn't care about our humanity, that doesn't, that doesn't sort of value our expertise, that doesn't, that doesn't value our ideas, that doesn't value our bodies. And so I was glad that I was able in that process to arm myself with, with, with the knowledge and, and to read. I mean, I was just like reading all kinds of, um, you know, books, even on technology, because my program is media uh, technology and democracy. And so I, I, uh, I was like, really just, I felt so prepared, you know, to like really go into the world now. Like if a white person tries me, right, at the intellectual level, obviously, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? Because I was always thinking about that because in my program, in my graduate program, I feel like the white people knew more than them. they knew more than me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I wasn't prepared to be in that space. And sometimes they would make arguments in class. I'm just like, dang, it, I don't have the knowledge right now to really push back on that to defend what I'm really trying to say. And I say, yo, never again. And so I, when I, I knew that. Uh, so, yeah, so that was really good for me because I knew that mm-hmm. once I completed, it, I, I was ready. And how'd you land out on the West Coast now after finishing your education? Yeah, I applied to 73 jobs. I'm not making it up. 73. I'm no cap. No cap. No cap. So we went from 30. Okay. So 30 after undergrad, 20 after grad school, and now 73 after becoming Dr. Dante Newman. Right. My wife can hear me right now. Baby, am I lying? I'm just kidding. I don't want to mess with the podcast. I don't want to mess with the podcast. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I applied to about 73 jobs. 73. And and the reason is because I didn't have any publication. Mm -hmm. I knew in and I was playing why. And so I didn't have any publications. I had a lot of like I had a lot of research studies, um, but I didn't publish any of them. And my doctoral advisor was like, "Yo, that's this is sort of the drawback of being in a three year program, mm. right? It's it's an accelerated accelerated program, but you know now you're going to be competing with people who 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 were in their programs for five to seven years. So now they have all of that time to rack up teaching experience and rack up publications. And so he was like, "You've got to apply, apply, apply until something sticks." And I was like, yo, really, I don't need any publications because I don't even want to teach at a university. I don't want to teach at a research-oriented university. I don't want to teach at a research-focused institution. That's never what I wanted to do. And so I applied to all of these schools, yes, but I was also applying to teaching-oriented universities and community colleges. I, I, I wanted to teach at either a community college or HBCU. But what most people don't understand is, yo, it's hard to get a position at an HBCU. There's like 107 of them. And then you say, oh, where's 107? So well, then you got to think about it. Not all 107 HBCUs have a communication program. Right. Well, there, there are 70 of them that have a communication program. Well, wait a minute. Not all 70 of them are hiring that year. Well, wait a minute. There are 20. Well, some of them are going to say you need five years of teaching experience. I don't have five years of teaching experience. So now you got like one, right? And so it's that, you know, so that's the thing. So, but community colleges though. So I ended up applying uh, to like 73 jobs. I ended up getting a call back from about, I would say about 10, about 10, which is actually really great, which is actually really, really great. 
Mm-hmm. And I think I ended up making the smart decision to come to to Santa Barbara City College in um, in California, even though it was the first one. You know, sometimes black people we got to go with the first one because you never you know, we're not in positions to. Nah, I'm gonna wait for something better. Mm-hmm. But you know, my wife. I remember my wife. I had went to a couple of interviews before getting this one. And I'm so glad that I did because I had an opportunity to like interact with a lot of different faculty members and schools. But then, even though this one came through first. I was already connected to the school. Yeah, I was already not the school, but to the black students. Cause I, mm-hmm. I, I when I got here, it's like it's only two percent black. Two, the, the city is one percent black, but the school is two percent black. And I, when I got to this campus, I ended up running into randomly running into the students. They had no idea that I was interviewing for a job. I mean, look at me. Do I even look like a, a PhD? Um, <laughs> you you got I, a baby face. You do. I got a baby face, right? You know what I'm saying? So most people look at me and they they think that I'm a student. It happens even at my job, right? And so they didn't even know. They were just bringing me in to have a conversation with them. They thought I was a student there. Like, oh, you know, it's 2%. Again, like we talk, what's up, bro? What's, what's good? I'm having a conversation with them. And they, you know, and throughout the conversation, they're like, oh, you, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually up for an interview tomorrow. Um, and then they were just like, yo, we hope you get hired. We need you here, X, Y, and Z. And that's why I came. That's why I came to the East Coast. West Coast, sorry, from the East Coast. Yeah, I will say when I saw Santa Barbara, my first thought was like, are Black people actually in Santa Barbara? No, no. Some very small population, one percent black, but it's a strong population of black folks. Like, and it's you know I come from Houston, Texas, right? Black. I'm coming from DC, black, but here's one percent black. But because the community is so small, we have what we call the I don't. And then they have this uh, uh, where you all live on the East Coast, but it's um Santa Barbara Young Black Professionals. So yeah, and so we meet before the pandemic. It was a monthly event, right? And then, and so when you get with your black people for one month and all the black people come through and there's no, and look, there's no friction or very little friction because you ain't got time for it. It's only, it's only a couple of us. And so, and then at my job, you know, I, I meet every Tuesday with the, with the black men at my job. So we meet and like, even during the pandemic, we meet every Tuesday. Now it's online, but still it feels like I got, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of black people because I'm meeting with them every day. But now we go to the grocery store, you ain't seeing nobody. Mm-hmm. When you out in East, but it's all. I, I will say though, I spent uh, two summers in the Twin Cities out in Minnesota, and during my law school career, and I've talked yeah. about that a little bit in various uh, interviews and podcast conversations. But the best thing to come out of those two summers was the Black professional networks there because it is so small. It's very communal. Everybody looks out for each other. Yep. Um, it's almost like the Underground Railroad, like the communication network and the way uh, the way it all works, not to to minimize the Underground Railroad, obviously. But, you know, I was having a difficult experience uh, at the, the law firm I was at at the time. And the way that news traveled and the way like black female lawyers started calling. I'm like, how did you even get my number? But it's a different experience when you have that really small uh, nuclear group. Of, of black folks because you're just so outnumbered. It's very different than being yeah. in, say, a New York or a Chicago. Right, right. It's so many of y'all that it's it's okay, it's 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 almost acceptable for y'all to be uh, uh, in clusters, mm-hmm. right? And obviously, you're always going to have cliques, right? Even in a small population, even with a small population of black people. But it's still it's just like so many people just come together though, and it's right like, these events. It never felt like oh, that's that group. Right. It was always, oh, hey, I've never seen you before. How, how are you? It's just like it was really like inviting. And so that's one of the things that I do um, love about being in Santa Barbara. Um, but, you know, it's again, it's it's one percent black, you know, and, and, and doesn't matter how you spend that. You right. Know? 
this city ain't built for folks like us. Like the entertainment ain't for us. You know, it's just not the food. The food ain't for. I mean, I ain't gonna lie. They, you know, whenever you live in white cities, they still got that Asian food. You, that Indian food, going that Indian food is for me. But how far do you have to drive for a good concert? Oh well, we we're like um a, a hour and forty five minutes away from L A. Only an hour and forty five to get to some good music. I guess that's not too bad. It's not too bad. But here's the thing: it's not bad though because we're not from here. Mm-hmm. So, for, so my wife is from um, uh, Farmingdale, New York. She also went to University of Albany. Spent time in Michigan. Spent time in D.C. with me. So we're coming to. She's a lawyer as well. So attorney. Shout out to the black female Shout attorneys. Out. Exactly. Exactly. So um, we we're not from the West Coast. Like I had only been here like once, like to San Diego. So. For us, driving into L.A. is cool. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, we in L.A. We in Santa Monica. You know, so it doesn't feel like, dang, I went 45 minute drive. Nah, I don't mm-hmm. feel that. Like, we, we were just in Compton like three weeks ago. Like, and it was like an hour and 45 minute drive. We got some good chicken wings, some fries. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's good. We It's not bad, you know. So you make you're making the trek for a, a more cultural experience. Let's call it that. Of of course, one hundred percent. I'll do it. Um, yeah, I'll do it because the uh, because it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Like like here we don't have really black mom and pop shops. Like we we just don't, you know. And maybe we do, but I don't know where they are. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna bet that they're not there. I, I, I haven't even been to Santa Barbara, and I'm like I'm going with no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we do have, like, I remember, you know, my wife, she's Black as well. And, you know, just trying to find a, a, a what do you call it, like a, a beauty salon. Right. Black beauty salon. I know white woman, you know, doing your birth. Yeah, I asked that a white woman recently asked, hey, Dante, um, do you mind my, I practice on your hair? Because, you know, like, I want to cut your hair because I want to be able to better serve clientele. Yo, you ain't got no clientele with my hair. First off, because they ain't here. And ain't nobody, ain't no black man gonna let you cut his hair. <laughs> what you want to practice for? You just want to experiment on my head. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, we're not doing that. But um, nah, but you know, so those are some of the things too, though. It's just like, you know, I mean, it, it's so, but here's the thing that you learn though, because I've always cut my own hair, but you know, mm-hmm. D, you never have an edge up, which is true. I never have an edge up because I have to, you know, <laughs> let me see. That's why I got this hat on. You know what I'm saying? Oh, but my wife. No? Go ahead. First of all, it's the pandemic. So like many of us are in hat headbands as I have on because, you know, you got to do what you can do right now. And we're all kind of limited. I, I'm not on my normal rotation of getting my hair done. So listen, I understand Now it sounds like you live this way all the time. But, you know, well, just bl- just blame it on the pandemic. Well, I'm just saying now both of y'all ain't got to bully me. Now, come on, man. It's, it's bad enough I got to deal with bullying from D, but now you don't got to bully me. Come on, Delicia. I, I'm sorry. My apologies. It's all right. It's all right. You know, I'm a friend of the podcast. I'm a friend of the podcast, you know, just playful banter. But, you know, now my wife, because there there are really no, um, you know, black hair salons in Santa Barbara, I think, but there is one like a little further out, maybe like a 45 uh, minute to an hour drive in, in Oxnard. But now she just like, she does her own hair. Mm-hmm. You know, she taught, she taught herself how to braid try to stuff how to do a number of things since since we've been living here. And so, you know, and I think that's some of the things that come out of it. You know, even though it takes her sometimes, she she's in the in the mirror for like six hours getting the braids done, you know, but at least she didn't have to pay somebody else to do it. Right. You know, she knows how to do it herself. And perhaps she could, if people over here want to get their braids done, they they can come to hair. Mm-hmm, absolutely. 
So switching gears, describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. That's a really great question. I feel like being Black in Santa Barbara, you have to be extraordinary every single day. And I know that's the cop-out answer. But, you know, when you, I just feel like just being Black, period, especially when you are Black in high-level leadership positions at predominantly, in predominantly white spaces or institutions, you have to be extraordinary uh, because people are already viewing you through the lens of you're not as intelligent as I am, right? Or you're just, you're intellectually inferior or you're a task or perhaps too complicated for you to understand or, you know, so I feel like we always have to be extraordinary, like just every single day. You know, I think it was, uh, I read a tweet the other day that said, uh, black women have to, black women are underestimated until they overperform. I feel like that, not to take that away from black women, but I feel like that can apply to so many different people. Like we always, we were always underestimated until we overperform, which is unconscionable, right? Because that's what people have said for years. We have to be twice as good just to get half as much. And so I feel like on an ordinary day, I'm underestimated, but I have to overperform. That's good. That's that's unfair and unethical and unjust, but that's the reality of being Black in America. Right. It's true. And, you know, it's hard to, I'm not one to dismiss that, but one of the things that we say on the show often, how we describe the show is that we don't shy away from the difficult conversations about the unique challenges that we face, but we don't wallow in it because those are the circumstances that we have to operate under. And, and to just focus on that piece, you'll send yourself into a rage, right? And and I can't live with that kind of anger at all times. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm ignoring what's happening. I'm not being willfully obtuse, but we've right. got to find the balance because that, those circumstances are not, they're not going away anytime soon. And I know that. I know. And it, it's, it's, so, it's so disheartening because when we talk about the rage, I was just talking to my wife about this and I know we're wrapping up, but, you know, just think about all of the Black women who have had the term rage in their book titles, right? I mean, like from Bill Hooks to Killing Rage, right? And then even Brittany Cooper to Eloquent Rage. And, you know, and I think that they've tried to reposition this term rage and, and reframe it to, we are in a constant state of rage because we're knowledgeable, right? Because we're educated about these unique positions that we find ourselves in, in a country that is built on white supremacy. Mm-hmm. But that's not what all rage is about, right? It's also about like finding ways to invest in each other, right? Finding ways to love on each other, finding time to, to be, to find joy, right? And so, yeah, I think that, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, last thing I'll do, look, if everyone who's listening, there's a really great book. I hate to do this, but the professor of me is telling me because we're talking about it. But D. Ray's book, D. Ray McKenson, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He has a really great book, and it's called uh, On the Other Side of Freedom, The Case for Hope. And in his book, he, he sort of makes this uh, distinction between hope and faith. And he says that faith is believing something will happen. And he says hope is believing that something can happen. And he says that Black people, even when we are in a constant state of rage, we're always hopeful because we believe that our tomorrow will be better than our today, right? Um, and that, that's something that I, I, I've tr- kind of been able to stick by or stick to is that tomorrow will, tomorrow can be better than today or tomorrow will be better than today. That's it for me. That's good. Um, but before we let you get out of here, tell us about the America We Know, your news program. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, the America we know um, is a talk show that I started with the director of equity uh, at uh, as, at SBCC, and so every every it's a monthly talk show. We we really just tackle sort of current events, and so our next one is on November seventeenth, and so we're just definitely going to tackle the national the presidential election. We want to talk about state propositions because I think people tend to forget that when you vote in a presidential election, yeah, you're also voting for state propositions. You're also voting for local measures. And so uh, we want to talk about all of those different things. Like, And uh, so that's what we really talk about every kind of uh, every month, just, you know, what's happening right now. You know, and we, we, it's, it's a really fun show. Like we really turn up like it's lit. It's, it's similar to this, actually. Like mm-hmm. this how this is. We just kind of go on and we invite guests on and we like it's just really a space for us to like just talk. And we talk about things, too. Like like you were just saying, just like it's not all about what's happening, like what's wrong. What's our predicament in America? We really talk about like, yo, what are you watching on Netflix? Like, what are you watching on Hulu? Like, what are you reading? Like, what are you what are you listening to? Like, we really have a segment. It's called Giving You Life. We just talk about. You know, what's giving you life, what's bringing you joy. Uh, and so I, I, I really do enjoy doing the show. I'm at the invite. Yo, I have to invite y'all. I, I mean, I, I thought we were going to talk about that after we pressed stop. But I'm just saying, when are you having us on? It, it, it pays. It pays. It pays. Paid gigs so, are good. Paid gigs yeah. are good. Yeah, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. I would love to have you on, actually. If you check the chat. You know what I'm saying? Um. Um, yeah, it's a two hours, it's two hours. I mean, you can okay. it's two hours, um, you know, and, and it's, it's a good, it's a good amount of money. I'm with I'm, it. I'm, I'm have you on actually. I would love to be on. So yeah, may, uh, so we, this is our last one for the year. Mm-hmm. So we got one for December because, uh, you know, it's a, um, it's the school, it, it's, it's, it's run by the school. Winter and, break. Yeah. So we got winter break. So we'll be back in, I, we got one in January, but February, we just stepped trying to get an all-star lineup. It'll be great to bring y'all on in February for sure. And February is my birthday month. So I'm, I'm always trying to be out and about making moves, you know. Making so moves, get It's got birthday money. Yo, this <laughs> birthday money. Yo, for, hey, hold me to it though. Hold no, for to- sure. For sure. But listen, before you go, we have to plug your new consulting firm. Oh, yes. The new consulting firm, it's called Ally to Accomplice. And we're basically just sort of dismantling this idea of you know, being an ally is all that you need to do to help eradicate, you know, racial inequity between groups, right? And so generally what we say is like allies will show up to a protest, right? That's it. Once they leave that protest, they're done. That's as far as ally um, ship goes. But an accomplice is not only going to show up to the protest, but the accomplice is also going to to write letters uh, to the editor when, uh, when, 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 when journalists are using mugshots of black people who have been found innocent of a crime, but they're still, you know, displaying them to the community as criminal, you know, and, and, an accomplice is going to call up, you know, a local politician and say, Hey, there is a pothole, um, you know, in a black neighborhood that hasn't been fixed for six months and is damaging tires. Right. And it's messing with how black folks get to work and make money and provide for their families. You know, an accomplice is, is going to, is going to stand up for black folks at work, right? When they see that a black woman has been overlooked for a position that she absolutely qualifies for. And so we we're trying to have like basically reframe this this whole idea of what it means to be an advocate for black people. Uh, and so it's called Ally to Accomplice. 
and we work with a number of organizations. And so in the, we, we work with, we just finished um, working with a school called Peabody Charter School. We work with, we work with a lot of schools, actually. We work with Galita. Uh, none of this stuff means anything to y'all, but we work with a number of schools. Um, like pretty much right now, our clientele is basically schools in uh, Santa Barbara, Galita, just Central California. So, yeah. And it's, you know, it's really, it's really dope because, you know, we're really talking about important stuff. We're talking about what it, you know, interpersonal racism. We're talking about institutional racism. We're talking about implicit bias. Uh, we're talking about socialization and the impact that it has on how we, how we uh, view things. We talk about uh, housing segregation and how that has an impact on uh, school segregation and how that also has an impact on your network, as you talked about, right? Housing segregation is, if we, anyway, I'm not going to, but housing segregation is real because that has, yeah, so we won't even go into it. So we we talk about pretty much how to raise anti-racist kids, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, and it's kind of, and it's simple for us, you know, it's, it's either, and I know it says ally to accomplice, but it could really be, um, uh, racist to anti-racist because it's that simple for us. It's either you're racist or anti-racist, right? It's either you support uh, anti-racist ideas or you don't support anti-racist ideas, right? And that, that's what it is. That's what our training is, is trying to teach these white folks. I hear you. And where can people find you online? Ally to accomplice, T-O, accomplice, ally to accomplice.com. And, uh, that's, and then also like on social media, I mean, as I, think, I know DeMarcus knows, but I'm not really, um, I'm not really on social media, but I do have one. It's Dante, Dante Newman, actually, just Dante, Dante Newman. Yeah. And spell Dante for the people. Oh, Dante for the people, because <laughs> I, people do misspell my name. Yes. Um, and that's all right, though, because I know that it's a variant spelling of, of Dante. So it's D-O. Mm-hmm. All right. Because my mom, my mother knew that I'll be a doer. All right? Hey, I like that. I never said that before. I've never look at my wife. My wife is looking at me. I've never said that. It's official now. It's official. All right. D O because I'm a doer. D O N T E and then new man. All right. New man. Got it. Got it. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. DeMarcus says you were going to be a good guest, even though you tried to act like we, you know, you were a filling guest. We knew you were going to be great. Uh, no, nah, listen, I really enjoyed this. This is, I think this might be my first time actually in a long time being a guest on someone's show, right? And so, man, this was really great. Uh, I mean, look, it's seven, it's seven, seven o'clock. We start around five. Don't cut anything. I'm just kidding. You know, do what you no, we're do. not. We're going we're gonna to keep it. We're going to keep it straight you're through. Yeah. You're going to keep this right now. You're going to keep this what I'm saying right now. Yes. Why not? Okay, that's cool. So look, I really enjoyed this. Shout out to everybody who listens to this podcast. You know, um, I appreciate y'all for having me on three years later, but it's all good. I want to be back 2021, y'all. DeMarcus, you ain't nothing. 2021, I'm back. Um, We're going to return the favor. We're going to appear on your show in 2021. And then listen, if Stephen Colbert and all those people can have people on multiple times, so can we. So we'll have you back. Absolutely. Let's do it. I mean, I'm down. I really enjoyed this, y'all. Appreciate it. Likewise, likewise. To our listeners, listen, you know the drill. We are all about expanding our networks, as we've talked about on this show. If something that Dr. Newman, I'm going to call him by his professional name, if something that Dr. Newman has said resonated with you, if you're looking just for insight uh, on your academic path, if you are looking for a consulting firm at your resident organization, 
Give them a call. Reach out to Ally to Accomplice. Check him out. Listen, we've got to support each other. And we all know we're all in environments where people are asking us as Black folks, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? If you have the opportunity opportunity to open the door uh, for a Black-led organization to come in and train and educate, do that. Check him out online, allytoaccomplice.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode, like, share, subscribe, tell somebody about it. We know that we are nothing without you, our listeners. We thank you, Dr. Newman, for coming on. We thank you to our listeners. And last but certainly not least, if you don't do anything else, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.